Hi everyone, welcome to Arts for the Health of Ed. I'm Richard Wilmore. I'm Catherine Partisini. And look who we have with us. It's Sam, which way? Sam Esther. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I love uh, when you, one of, we, so in the pre-interview form, one of the things we asked them is like, what would you name your episode? And when you had graphic medicine on there, I was like, that's what I'm stealing from it. Because it's so, uh, a s simple way to describe something that's not so simple. And so I would love for you to kind of tell people, first of all, who you are and uh, what you describe as graphic medicine. Yeah, thanks so much for having me here and for letting me talk about a subject that I am totally like I really love and I'm happy to let people know about too. Um, so I live in Calgary, Canada, and I wear a couple of hats, but they all have to do with art and writing. I write comics and I draw the comics too. And I also um, work as a graphic recorder. So there's going to be lots of graphic in this talk. Um, a graphic yeah. recorder is somebody who's like a visual note taker. So we can talk more about that later. Um, but I discovered the emerging practice of graphic medicine about 10 years ago. It was a, a phrase that was coined by a British physician, Ian Williams, who thought of graphic medicine as the intersection between comics and healthcare. Mm -hmm. And this really resonated with me because I love comics. That's what I do anyway. But um, graphic medicine is a pretty wide community and there's lots of different ways that pictures can help with healthcare. And it's exciting to see, yeah, how they're all how, how it's turning into lots of different things. Could you share too about a little about your background um, prior to, because you, you've done a lot of different things and I, I find this to be kind of common among artists <laughs> maybe is yeah. they have a lot of different experiences and, and it kind of all comes together somehow. Yeah, right now it feels like it's kind of, it's come together to be the way it is today, but it certainly has been a long journey of doing different things. Yeah, I studied um, literature and art and I thought like, I'm never gonna make a living doing this. So I worked as a flight attendant for a long time mm. and I'm getting a frog in my throat. So I'm gonna have a drink of water. Thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, so I worked, uh, I lived for a while in Germany and I learned to speak German. So I was hired to be a flight attendant on a route from Canada to Germany because they needed the language speakers there. Mm. And I worked as a flight attendant for 15 years because it was such a good job that would let me have a sort of a steady income thing to do, but lots of free time to do freelance work and travel and figure out how could I ever make a living doing art and writing. And uh, I always wrote comics, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago I found about this field of graphic recording, which was a, it's a practice where people can attend usually a, um, a conference or a meeting anywhere where people are gathering in person to have a discussion about something. And I would come along as a note taker to kind of record the meeting minutes, but with lots of pictures as well as just the plain old notes, usually on a really big poster so that you have something more engaging to take away from your, your event that you just were a part of. And when I learned about that practice, that's what made me able to quit my flight attendant job and uh, become a full-time art and writing person for the last 10 years now. We have, that reminds me that we have someone on our board that's how she takes notes at her church is she draws like she'll draw but do little notes around it that's exactly what yeah. she does. interesting lots of people take notes with visuals like sometimes even just doodling is a really good uh, something to give you to focus on while you're trying to pay attention and sometimes the visuals are good memory tools for 
when you're looking at those notes later, you'll see that little picture that jumps out at you. And it doesn't have to be fancy, good quality art. It might just be like a little asterisk or a little underlining in color. It's just a visual element that helps you remember the content of what you're, what you're supposed to be capturing. Yeah, and it can um, communicate a lot without having to read <laughs> tons of words. So yeah. you kind of eliminate some barriers there potentially with language too. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So you did graphic recording and then, um, so tell us how you kind of started with um, like doing this with medicine or with healthcare. Yeah, so there's a few different ways that, like I discovered the term graphic medicine like sometime within the last 10 years. And when I thought of that, I was like, oh, there's so many ways I've been using graphics and art and writing as a, like in a, in a healthcare context. And there's a, a bunch of different ways that uh, graphic medicine can be applied. But for myself, I certainly used it in my work as a graphic recorder when I'm taking notes at healthcare events. So if I'm if I'm uh, listening to someone talk about, you know, in anything in the field of medicine or healthcare, and they need some visual notes to help amplify that message or make that message more accessible, then pictures were always something I was doing anyway um, with regards to that. Um, and there's one there's one picture I had on the. Uh, on the list of pictures that we had available. And I think this one's called a patient journey map. That's one way that um, lots of uh, healthcare practitioners are, are using pictures. It's a little hard to see because this is a really an example of a really big, I think it's like eight feet long poster. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so you can't really see the details, unfortunately. That's one of the downsides of graphic recording on a small screen. But this was just an example of how it, it was a rehabilitation hospital that wanted to show how this particular patient had gone through the journey of having, in his case, it was a leg that was amputated. And they wanted to show how in that process, there were emergency doctors, there was a surgeon, there were physiotherapists, there was his family that was also present. There were all sorts of rehabilitation uh, you know, people who helped him get from entry into that facility to being back at home again. And so that's just one example of how I used, uh, as a graphic recorder, I discovered like, wow, graphics can be really helpful in a healthcare setting. So mm -hmm. that, was what, that was one way that I learned about graphic medicine before really realizing that graphic medicine was an official, official thing. Right. Um, and if, if you're listening and not watching, I would encourage you to go look <laughs> um, because it's almost like it's like a timeline in a way, but there's so yeah. many pieces to it. Um, that was a, that was an, actually an early example of one that I tried. And this um, this it was the rehabilitation hospital that engaged me and we all didn't know what we were doing. We thought we'll get everybody together. We'll get the whole team together and talk about what we did and show the journey. But you really have to think about which pictures you choose and even which words you choose when you're telling a story. And that was that was an early example for me of like, huh, this isn't quite so straightforward. You really have to plan ahead before you just you know, scribble it all down and you assume it's gonna work. Right. Otherwise right. it's gonna be 47 feet long. <laughs> this, might be, this might be an episode to watch on your TV. Like watch through yeah. YouTube on your TV because you'll be able to see it better. On full screen, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, but maybe, so maybe if another another picture was the one we uh, I, we talked about it just a few minutes ago before this started about one called the stress comic, because this was how I first started um, writing comics. I started, I've been writing comics since I was in my early 20s. And I would just write about what was going on in my life as a really personal kind of a therapeutic way to get something out of my system. And in this comic from a really long time ago, I wrote like, oh, I'm really strung out. I just went to the dentist or there's squirrels living in my house. And I was so, you know, I was always just writing about, you know, my, my own experiences. And this is kind of the opposite of that healthcare journey where there's so many people you have to consult ahead of time. This is just like an outpouring of my own immediate feelings about something. And this was a, 
later I discovered the term graphic pathography, which is a story about illness. And mm -hmm. that's how these days graphic medicine practitioners use graphic pathographies to tell patient stories from the patient's perspective. And this is such a helpful perspective for healthcare practitioners to see how does the patient see the experience or the, the experience of their illness or whatever, whatever is being discussed. But I didn't even know when I started writing my own autobiographical comics a long time ago, that my own kind of outpourings of, you know, teenage angst or whatever it was, that was a bit of the same, uh, you know, personal take on a story that can be quite informative in ways that you, you know, you don't usually get in an official report. Right. Um, and were those um, graphics you created something you shared with other people or were there those just very personal that you kept to yourself? Yeah. No, I always, I always liked uh, sharing them. I, and I self-published lots of my comics. And these days I still write autobiographical comics that are published in different places because I always felt like if I'm telling my own story, then I, I, can, I can stand behind that. Like if, it's, if I'm writing about other people, then you really have to think about how they're being represented and whether they're okay with that. But I really like comics. I really like telling real life stories. And so I would always write about myself because I knew that nobody would get upset if it was just me in the story. So... <laughs> Very true. <laughs> how me? I go ahead. How many like? What's my question? How popular is this form of of art, like graphic medicine? Like, I have never seen it before. I don't know if Catherine has or not. Like, you know, obviously not every hospital is using this, or like, so how did how did how are people using it out there and and why aren't more people doing it is my question maybe uh, that's a great question so i'm i'm not really a graphic medicine expert i kind of fell into this from my own lived experience but um i guess when i started using pictures in particular to help with my own healthcare experiences and more specifically with my mom's because i'm a caregiver for my mom and i have been for about 10 years that's when i found that pictures really seemed to be helping. And we could talk about that, those examples. But um, after I started doing that, um, my, that and, and I heard the term graphic medicine was like a thing that, you know, made sort of like, oh, that might describe what I'm doing. This is kind of cool. Then I actually reached out to some of the practitioners who, who do this as um, mostly in an academic context and spoke with them to say like, hey, is this, is this like an, an official term that, you know, I don't want to be appropriating or anything like that. Like I, I want to make sure that I'm using this in the right way. And uh, they were like, no, this is a community. There's many people who are doing this all over the world. But um, the main area where I see it being used is in academia. So there's um, there, the first time I heard of this was from a, a, med, a med school teacher. And there's actually a picture of him on my list of pictures too called Michael Green. I think that's how the picture is titled. Um, Michael Green's a professor, as a medical school professor at Penn State University, who started teaching comics to interns and like medical students at his university. And I heard him speak in Calgary when he came here. That's when I took these notes um, a few years ago. And he had noticed that uh, if, if students of medicine were seeing the patient's perspective in a comic, or learning to write comics themselves and thinking about like how comics are used to make choices and how you tell the story, like what do you depict, which what goes in your panel, and all those different uh, nuances that come in when pictures are involved, then this could really help them with their their whole understanding of their future work in, in healthcare. So I guess to come back to your question about who's using this, uh, since I discovered that there are, um, there's sort of a core group of people who are um, operating this graphic medicine website and holding graphic medicine conferences that happen annually. Um, 
they mostly to me seem to be in the world of academia um, and in like formal practice of medicine. So they're using graphic medicine as a teaching tool or as a research tool. Mm. Um, but I really felt like this is lacking in the general public. Like wanted, I wanted yeah. more people to know about this and maybe to use it the way I've been using it just to, just to help my mom who lives in long-term care. So yeah. that's when I gave a little talk about this last year because I just wanted people in my town to know like, hey, this is a thing that I don't really, I'm not the expert, but I think that it's cool as well. Yeah, if you could um, tell us a little more about um, how you've used this with with your mom. Um, I've had some time to to learn about this story, but I just find it really fascinating um, how you've brought all of this together in a way that's very, I mean, it it's, it's enhancing quality of life. It, I, I imagine, gives you some peace of mind if you're able to communicate things through pictures to her, her doctors or her other caregivers that she has. Um, yeah, yeah, and like honestly, this just started because I had to spend a lot of time with my mom in different like healthcare visits and hospitals, and I it was so boring, and I just had to sit there, and I always draw. Like I like to draw and take notes because it's something that I do anyway. And then I started realizing that these notes were helpful. Um, so I'm just looking if I have some pictures that are labeled hospital and I don't know, you can pick whichever one <laughs> um, because I would just go to the hospital with my mom and just draw pictures of what. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, not a, a close up view of my mom, but a picture of what it's like when your mom in her wheelchair has to get uh, brought over on a handy bus that uh, can take her directly from her facility where she lives to meet me at the hospital. And uh, so these kinds of pictures are of my mom eating her hospital lunch. Maybe I should say a bit about my mom. She's uh, named Jocelyn and she's 73 years old. And for about 20 to 25 years, she's had Parkinson's. So Parkinson's has been something we're used to. It's nothing new for us. But as she started to have um, symptoms that were a bit more complicated and also to have some uh, experience of dementia that's related to Parkinson's, that's when communication got trickier and that's when the pictures started helping. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. the, the, and these are the kind of things we started to do. Initially, I was drawing pictures on my mom's behalf. And so maybe there's one that, I think there's one that might be called Help for Jocelyn, or maybe, I don't even know now. Oh, this one of those. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there you yes. go. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so these are the pictures I would draw in the hospital when I found like pictures were helpful at times when you don't know the people or when you can't be there to communicate with them in that moment yourself. Because if I was there, then I could say to the doctor, oh, my mom is having some issues with, uh, you know, these hallucinations. Like she thinks she's holding something in her hand, but she actually isn't holding something in her hand. Or she, uh, she'll tell you she can do something, but she really can't. Or maybe it was physical symptoms, like how she was always leaning off to the left. And so if this wasn't something they knew about, they might see her sitting there just fine. And then five minutes later, she'd fall off her chair. So I could say that to them and ex explain it if I was there, but if I had to go away, that's when I felt like leaving a picture there would be just a way to fill that gap. So Faster. pictures started to fill it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, to be a time saver for everybody. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm so And then later fast. we started oh, to use, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I'm just like, I'm fascinated by that. And, and you know, when you go to a hospital, there's the little, sign outside that gives the color of whether or not they can walk by themselves or all yeah. of, like what a great way to not make it so sterile and I'm, I'm really curious of like how do we integrate this at hearts need art with spending time with the patients and really finding out what they like th like the help for jocelyn like what a great 
gift to give a patient and a care like and the hospital staff so you both can kind of communicate with each other and you learn something about them besides yeah oh they need that color slipper it hu humanizes yeah. Yeah. humanizes them yeah um but, there I, are some, but I think that's yeah go ahead again oh, oh just I just wanted to kind of on that note these are some of the other ones you've created to um oh, so that people but, coming into her room knew <laughs> But, the, um, but these ones, these ones were different because these were the ones that my mom dictated to me. Oh, because okay. at first I was telling, oh, my mom leans off to the left. So can you you know, support her left side? But then when my mom was doing a bit better, and this was when she uh, was able to advocate more for herself. And I asked her, like, what do you think they should know when they come into the room? And I had not realized that holding a full cup of water would be too heavy for her. But she told me, like, please draw a picture that says, don't fill the cup all the way. Or earlier, there was a picture you showed that said, please call me by my middle name. My mom goes by her middle name, Jocelyn, even though on the chart, it says her name is Mary. And if they're going to say, Mary, Mary, where are you? She probably, it'll take her for a few minutes to realize like, oh, they're talking to me. Mm. So that's something that it wouldn't say necessarily on the chart anywhere. So she identified certain issues that she found were always coming up for her. And then I was able to draw those pictures to, you know, give her those, the same things we're just talking about, those things to humanize the care she was getting. Right. Yeah, there's another one. Were these yeah, used as sort of like artwork in her in her room, or did you have like a little booklet for this for the healthcare staff? Like, I'm curious how they yeah. were able to to get access to it. How they could that's see. something that like I wish there was a way to just build this in. You know, like th yeah. these maybe these mm -hmm. pictures should appear in the chart, like in a place where people always look. But I think in every new healthcare place that you are, there's going to be some new place that people are looking. And uh, so I actually did, I carried pictures around with me in my, like in my backpack and wherever I'd go to some new appointment, we'd have them if we needed them, or we just like make copies of them. Like for the ones that were used, um, you know, frequently, like always call my mom by her middle name. And if it was in a, a hospital room, maybe we'd tape it up on the wall or put it up on the door, put it or write it on a whiteboard. Um, or if we had somebody at a front desk, we could give it to you and say, keep that in her chart. You know, it just would sort of, it just has to present itself. And actually, this is the part that makes me think back to my, my flight attendant experience. I wanted to tell this because I, I always think of it, that when I used to work on a 12-hour flight from Calgary to Frankfurt, I used to set up the galley. So I'd set up like, this is the coffee and tea. Now this is when the breakfast comes out. And now this is when you get your hot towels or whatever those things are. The garbage collection goes through. It would be nice if you just had a little chart of here's what you do, because it's the same flight every time and you have to do that same service every time and often it can get confusing or you can run late or whatever and i tried to make a bit of a navigational map to show hey well at six o'clock you take the things out of the fridge and then at four o'clock you make the coffee or whatever but what i found was you can't really do that because every flight is going to be different every time you fly on that same exact route with the same number of passengers the same everything still things are going to happen you can't expect like there'll be turbulence or there'll be you know you'll have a different supplier that brought the yogurt that time or you'll have a different number of passengers or somebody who ordered a special meal and the same with a healthcare journey you can't just standardize and say here's where you should always use those pictures or these are always the pictures that are going to be helpful because every time there'll be maybe a different doctor that day or you'll move to a new room in the hospital or something will change and you just have to be ready to use, like I think you have to create pictures and communication tools that can be really adaptable because you just can't tell how the journey's gonna go. Right, it's not like carrying around your medication list, you know, that never changes, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's constantly changing. Um, exactly. Hmm. 
Um, you talked a little bit about how your mom has dementia and you, you have some drawings you shared with us. Do, do you mind if I throw some of those up? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, wait, I think it's this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you could talk a little bit about this image and um, yeah, I'll let yeah. you know. So this, this was made after my mom moved to long-term care and she was not sort of in an acute, you know, need for immediate care at the hospital. Like, you know, her, her vitals were stable. You know, people knew who she, were, who she was, but she had been having hallucinations for a long time. And she, you know, it, it wasn't apparent to other people, even to me, I didn't realize initially that this was something she was having and to such an extent. So she told me about this. And then I tried to depict what she was going through by showing her experience of, talking to the doctor who's asking her questions she can easily answer she seems that outwardly to be you know just fine but uh inside she's seeing these ghostly people around her and by drawing a picture of that i think it showed a few things like first of all it shows how you know you can see the ghostly people too now if you if i draw them in the picture now they're apparent to the viewer <laughs> and they can share that experience with my mom right. but also you can share my mom's experience of feeling a bit isolated and dismissed by the doctor who like, you know, he wasn't his fault, he couldn't see them. But uh, it sh the picture shows a bit more her experience of that isolation she was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then these comics were drawn for a, a magazine here in Calgary. Um, for It's a magazine about dementia and for families and people experiencing dementia. And so we, we wrote a few stories together, my mom and I, about her, this one was about her ghostly hallucinations and how we were able to um, you know, learn more about them. And then the comics actually helped us. We took them to my mom's Parkinson's doctor and he said, oh, I didn't know she was having hallucinations. Let's get some medication for that. And we, we thought that was part of a, we thought her hallucinations were kind of a side effect of some temporary medications she's had at the hospital, mm -hmm. but actually these were a, an ongoing thing that could be treated. So the comic helped us to advocate for that. Mm. My, um, my grandfather had Parkinson's and he had dementia as well. Um, this is um, many, many years ago, but and he would talk about the hallucinations that he would have. And yeah. um, I just seeing these just makes me wonder like how it's just incredibly helpful. It's a really powerful way to depict their experience of it. Um, even though we other people around them might not be able to see what they're seeing. Um, so you, you talk a little bit or um, you shared a little bit, I think in the pre-interview about how just kind of this field of graphic medicine can be used as a empathy promoting tool. Uh, um, and are there things that like, I guess, what would you, um, if someone wanted to start incorporating this somehow, whether they're, maybe they're a caregiver themselves, um, maybe they're not an artist or uh, are there any suggestions you have for how people could maybe pull pieces of this together to help some, a loved one? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to it's easy to do the drawing part because it doesn't have to be good fancy artwork. The hardest part, I think, is the first part, and that's that you need to first don't bother to do this unless you have some trust with the person you're communicating about. So if it's for yourself, then you can do whatever you want because just like me with my autobiographical comics, I can draw my own picture of like my knee really hurts and there's like some sharp lines coming out of my knee. Like I can, I know how my knee feels. But if you're working as a caregiver for someone or you're advocating for someone else, then they really have to trust you to help tell their story and you have to trust them. So that's the part that you can't just say like, okay, go in and do that. You really should right. start with somebody that you have that relationship with 
um, that luckily I was, I could, I'd built with my mom so that she felt comfortable telling me, this is the picture that I'd like to have, or this is the issue that I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. So after the first, starting with the trust, then the next part is to decide what's the message. And this is where the person who you're helping, that's their opportunity to, to share something that, you know, the others might not see. So, you know, I might want it. I want people to know, like my mom has Parkinson's, but she might want them to know, I don't know, please uh, give me a few extra minutes when I come in the door because it takes me a minute to get through the doorway and to sit down. And that might, like just the fact that she can walk in slowly and be comfortable might set the whole eating on a good foot for her because she hasn't had to rush and stumble or something like that. And who knew, maybe that was something important that I didn't even know. So just right. the second step after building the trust is to decide what's the message that matters to them. Is it like they go by their middle name or whatever those little details are? And only then, the third one is draw the picture. But the picture is just so, you know, it only arises out of those two other steps. And mm -hmm. those are things that people know about their family members or they have the opportunity to find out. Then you just need to find some artist or if you, you know, feel brave enough to do it yourself, draw a little stick figure or draw a, you know, even just write the words and draw some little sparkly lines around them or highlight them or underline them so that people will it'll catch your eye and you'll look at them the message right. is the important part more than the pictures right yeah, i mean as, i mean you make them look so beautiful really but some of them are also just like sort of doodles like with the cup totally half, you know like it doesn't have yeah. to be anything that you need crazy 20 years of experience of in art or degree yeah. to do it's really and it would be it would purpose. it would be nice if this was a mainstream thing that everybody did so i still hope that that'll be the case but in the meantime since it isn't you can take advantage of that and on that whiteboard or bulletin board in your hospital room, tack up a picture that has, you know, a highlighted squiggly line on it or a circle around it or something. And people will probably look at it more than they might look at a chart or a, not. Of course, the staff does look at your chart, but they might not in the moment. They if you want something to catch their eye, visuals do catch people's eye. So that's the advantage you can use them to. Hmm. Just so fascinated. I, know. And I, want you, I want to like, I want, I want you to come here to San Antonio and like do a workshop for us at Hearts Need Art about how we can help facilitate that in hospitals because it's so. Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm figuring out like, well, I'm, I haven't got it figured out because this is not something I do for my full time work. This is just something I started to do mostly with my mom and the opportunities that keep occurring to me. Like, I really would love to have a program where people use pictures on admissions, for example, to long term care, especially when there's people with dementia. Maybe you need to know about that person. Uh, you know, they used to be a farmer. And so that then when you come in and you don't know that person and they don't know you and you just need something to have the conversation like, oh, so I hear that you you know, you could look at that quick picture of a cow or a horse or whatever, you know, they used to, they love to knit or just some little personal details might help the admissions process to go smoothly. And then another person recently suggested to me, this would be so helpful to use for outpatient um, care. So maybe you're dismissed from someplace and now you've got to go home and maybe for yourself, you might remember, oh yeah, those are those exercises I had to do, or I don't know what, right. you know, the new things out in the community are. So there's so many applications, but I, I'm a little bit floundering to think like how to start putting that into practice, except in maybe some very small little pilot projects that, that can happen and then grow from there. Mm -hmm. But I do love what you said about that. You were sort of, you did it just 
for your mom's benefit. And I think that's a great message for people out there of like advocating for yourself and doing, it doesn't have to be professional looking. It's really about advocating for yourself and making sure that, that, um, that the point is made and that those little things matter. They matter. Yeah. 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 And because those people who are going through that with their, with their loved one who's sick or with their own experience, they know what those things are. Like you'll know, oh, here's that thing that I always encounter when I go to the hospital. And, and maybe there's a time when you um, aren't going to be able to easily say that. Maybe you're even, you're just in the moment, you're nervous, or you might not have a chance to be sure you'll be able to find the time to talk to the doctor at the minute that the doctor is free. So if you have that picture or that little note ready, and you just have it ready for the moment that presents itself, then it can, it really can make a difference on an individual level in a really big way. Because, yeah, I mean, it goes both ways where the doctors are getting a ton of information and they're not going to remember that, you know, this is how or nurses or the nursing staff, like all of those little things, they're not they may not remember the same way that you're as a patient getting a ton of information and you don't remember it. So I, yeah. I just love it. But people remember personal details like yeah. they might not remember, right. like, oh, I've seen five people with broken leg today. You know, but maybe they, that's, oh, that's the person who they used to work at a circus or, you know, some right. like straight, <laughs> random, unforgettable detail that that would never go into your medical chart, but you're allowed to put it in your little comic strip or your little yeah. picture on the wall. And that will make things memorable. And mm. it, that's, and it's not like it's cheating. Like that's really helpful to, to have <laughs> memorable things to, to make people, you know, make something stick out in your memory. Right. Oh, it's amazing. Um <laughs> What is the best way for, if people want to get in touch with you or they want to learn more about this, can you um, give us some resources on that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so let me think. I think if, the, if you're really interested in graphic medicine and you wanna learn from experts who have much more experience and many different ways of practicing more than myself, there's a website that's graphicmedicine.org. And that's where you can find the folks who really um, are part of this community doing like all sorts of groundbreaking, interesting research and and uh, studies and applications of this. Uh, there is also a graphic medicine conference that happens once a year. And I think next summer in Toronto, it'll be uh, at a date that I, I don't know yet, but sometime in the summer of 2023. And I hope I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but to find me, I have my website, the23rdstory.com. And that's mostly about graphic recording work and local, you know, real life stories of my life here in Calgary. But uh, every time there's a chance to do some graphic medicine, I'll probably be putting something about it there too. What does, can I ask what the 23rd story means? Uh, so I had, I had an old like art and writing freelance business and I had to have a new name just for some legal reasons. I suddenly needed a new name and I live on 23rd Avenue here in Calgary. And I thought, this is the street, this is the place that started this whole story. So, and also I felt like by then I told at least 23 stories. So now I'm, I'm st- I still live on 23rd Avenue and it's still my, my business name. You're locked in. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've got to stay here. I love that. Uh, Sam sent a bunch of photos uh, before the interview and I wanted to just go one by one through all of them and have her <laughs> because it's just remarkable what you're doing. But she said, no, she doesn't want to spend 12 hours with us. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping that we can throw some of them on our social media. And yeah. um, and so everyone can see. It's just, yeah. what a great concept. Yeah. Well, not, it didn't exactly originate with me, but I'm so glad to be able to share what I've been doing in the hopes that yeah. it inspires others. And I'd love to see what other people are doing. I'd love for this to catch on more at a time when 
healthcare's healthcare um, environments are really dealing with lots of challenges and they need all the tools and resources they can get. If this one would help a little bit, I'd be so happy. So yeah, share away. Yeah, I, I want to do some work after this and some research and see how we can integrate it into what we do because it just, it makes sense to me. So so like, powerful. Yeah. Um, and thank in you. so many ways, like so easy, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. But it's always the combination of words and pictures, like the pictures, like you, you, if you're doing whatever work you're doing, you know, your message that you have got, or, you know, the, the thing you want to share, that's where it starts. And then the pictures are just there in support of that. Yeah. So start with the words and the message and make sure you include them as well. And then the pictures are just there to make it stand out. Even if it's clip art or something. Totally. totally. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, the more, the more original and unique, the more eye-catching, the more memorable, but still clip art is one step up from no clip art, right? right. So start, small, start, with, start with a visual that you're comfortable and see how it works. And then as you get more ambitious, then you can take it wherever you need. Right. Well, thank you so much, Sam. This was, it was just great to learn more about how you're using this. And um, it just seems like such a vast opportunity. Like there's tons of opportunities yeah. to implement this, so. Thank you for spending time with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really grateful. Thank you. And thanks for watching or listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're doing those things. Keep creating, everyone, and we will uh, see you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health Fit. This episode is produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, and hosted by Richard Wilmore and Catherine Partisini. You can support the show and help others learn about the healing power of the arts by visiting heartsneedart.org. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Hearts Need Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay.